How do you like being a DM? Oh, I thought we were just going to talk my microphones. <laughs> um, I I like being a DM. I love it, actually. It's it's fantastic. And uh, the last couple years, DMing has been the uh, most uh, opportunity I've gotten for creative outlet in a while. And uh, yeah, it's been really good. Have you done any other fiction work? Um, I wrote stories in like middle school and uh, yeah, kind of stuff, stuff like that. Yeah, but that's that's pretty much it. That's definitely what being a DM excuses you to do. And on top yeah. of that, you don't have to, unless you really want to, you don't have to write the dialogue, mm. which is the part that I've never been able, like. I'm not writing much, dialogues hard. It's yeah. it's a huge pain. I'm not sure that anybody actually does it very well, but yeah, I, I don't. I I write. For, for most of my characters that are pre-made, all my, my NPCs and stuff, I write uh, descriptions of them and maybe a little um, history and a little personality and maybe an accent. But I don't write any dialogue. I just improvise all of that. How much accent coaching have you done for yourself? <laughs> a decent amount. I want to do more. Um, I, can, I assume uh, you're familiar with Eric Singer. Uh, the, yes, the wired absolutely. Guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've watched I've watched all of those videos. I've watched a bunch more. Um, well, I can do a, a decent Irish accent now. Uh, that's well, you have a the, heritage. The pinnacle of that. that. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, that's that's about all I got. Um, <laughs> I uh, I can uh, sometimes do a French accent as well, and not as good, I don't think, but uh, it's somewhat okay. Did you study French in school? I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So again, you got, it's, the key is having the knowledge base. Yeah, I, I pretty much, I stick with like the five accents that I can do and don't go beyond that. And I want to expand that out just because it's fun. It's not something that's required, but I think it's a fun thing to do. Um, I mean, certainly as the DM, you need ways to distinguish your characters. So yeah, yeah. It's definitely. a really easy way to go about it. And it's funny because uh, there are some accents that I've worked on. And then when it came time to actually do them, I just forgot how, like, one car ride home, and I don't remember where I was, um, I had an idea for, and it was actually the character that you played in the Thanksgiving uh, uh -oh. thing, uh, special, uh, Harwin, I had an idea that he would have, like, a Nick Cage accent, so... I was in the car for half an hour one day and I just practiced a Nick Cage accent the whole way and I had it down pat. And then when it actually came time <laughs> to do it, it just disappeared and became straight American with no unique qualities. How much of the accent work do you think actually comes through in the moment? Because that seems like one of those things that you'd run into self-talk problems where you talk yeah. in a different way to yourself than you do to people when you have to actually communicate a thought. Yeah, I, I think for the ones that I'm I'm more comfortable with, like uh, like Irish, uh, French Creole, um, um, sometimes Southern accents as well, those I can kind of stick with and, and stay in character even when I'm having to improv dialogue and come up with story beats and everything. Um, if I'm trying to do an accent that I'm not as comfortable with, for some reason Scottish, it seems like it should be easy since I do the Irish okay, but I can't stick with the Scottish accent. It always disappears. Two or any entire any... nations of people would be furious that you said that. Yeah, or, or any of the English accents as well. Like I've tried an estuary accent and uh, like a received pronunciation accent and all that stuff. It just goes away. I can't get it to stick. So. I'm waiting for Eric Singer to do. He has to do a series on just Britain at oh, yeah. some point. There's here. so many. That's inevitable. Yeah, but so many British accents. Yeah, 
but yeah, I mean, above and beyond accents, you know, there's the NPC element. I haven't DM'd a game in a long time. We were gonna do, and we may still at some point here. I'd still be down for it. Depending yeah. on scheduling, we can start doing a round robin there. I don't know. I'm. It's. It has to be in the fantasy set. I've thought. I've gone back and forth about why. D&D as far and away by like or maybe more than one order of magnitude is the most popular tabletop RPG Probably. Uh, and it has like the setting it can't be the rules the rules aren't that special <laughs> no. it's the setting that it, does yeah. it it's the the high fantasy kind of kitchen sink uh, fake medieval renaissance um, kind of era it just it just feels good to role play in i don't know yeah what it is, i haven't i've not quite sussed I, out what that prefer is. that to like modern stuff as well and i i've i wrote down some stuff as well but i i don't know i prefer kind of the the structure and the environment of D and pathfinder and and those kind of uh environments to um something that's a little more unstructured like like fiasco which i do enjoy but i wouldn't want to do fiasco every week whereas D or pathfinder i'm like yeah yeah i want to do that every week <laughs> yeah that's weird i i don't want to do either of them every week that's i want to fair. do them like once a month yeah it's just like a stint but part of that's just because i mean i don't you know fiasco is emotionally exhausting and uh because you have to do you have to do too much in one moment a lot of people complain about the the uh, rules lawyering that happens in D. uh part of the reason that is useful a feature not a bug is that it lets you have downtime where you don't actually have to be engaged. Yeah. Obviously a DM doesn't have that latitude, but certainly for players, the ability to sort of rest and then come back and be on is very useful. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Um, particularly yeah. in combat, but no, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I, I, I don't know if I prefer modern campaigns. I definitely am finer with them than you are although as soon as i mean modern literally modern campaigns not like the 50s right. which is a, something i i tried and sort of a stillborn project to have well, a world we did a bunch of different eras for for fiasco i think in in those games it's not quite the same but yeah um, but even within like it, it's the second the second someone invents the cell phone, it's very hard to come up with. Like oh, even yeah. with the FTL RPG concept, coming up with basically you you, be, you pretty much have to come up with a conceit that eliminates the internet, yeah. because the existence of the internet is you know not to make too strong a social commentary here, but it is basically like the death of culture. Yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. There's not that much miscommunication that can happen anymore, and the kind that happens is like too convoluted. It's like it's too concrete. Thankfully, in FTL, it's not that hard. And in most sci-fi settings, or specifically space-fi settings, it's not that hard to eliminate a lot of technology because you yeah. just you just assume that... You know, um, the, the Warhammer 40k route where certain technology is just banned and it's... Well, it's, and it's it's not hard to explain that away. Like, in, in FTL, it's relatively easy to explain that you would only have communications within your ship and from, like, ship to ship, and you don't have, like, perfect internet-style knowledge because... Um, the hackers are more powerful than the white hats. Yeah. And you just like that explains away a lot of that. It and does. it's that's convenient because you want, I mean, it's part of the reason why borderlands was an enticing thing. I'm surprised there isn't, is there, 
Is there a Borderlands-type tabletop RPG? I, I don't know. I'm surprised that there isn't. If there isn't, I, I actually don't know. Because that, I mean, that uh, whatever whatever you think of, like, the actual lore of Borderlands, there is something extremely appealing about, you know, redneck sci-fi. Well, it's kind of, I mean, it's sci-fi, but it's kind of the Wild West. And the Wild West is a... Uh, is a genre that get, gets played in tabletop RPGs. Yeah. I haven't done it, but I mean, elements of Westerns filter into into my just kitchen sink fantasy games. It's just kind of a, a genre that works well for it, I think. There's um, a reason there was a couple of decades of movies about it as well. Yeah. So Yeah. And Do there are other things like Age of Exploration is really good too, but I think that I, all kind of ends up being in D&D. It's not it's not medieval it's just in uh, well i mean D &D, you can get you can have a gun in D &D yeah if you well, really want i mean to. guns have been around since the 1200s so i mean it's it's not that unusual to have a gun but um but yeah it's just like it's not a real setting so it just kind of is a perception of what fantasy should be and i think everyone's kind of latched onto that what year do you if you had to pin it is your D and D campaign in? If I had to pin a year, probably fourteen fifty. All right. So right before the age of expiration, um, where heavy armor is still a thing, crossbows are a thing. Um, although in my world, guns aren't really a thing, but guns predate plate armor, which is a weird thing. Um, in like full full plate armor what sure. people think of as as knights uh guns predate those which i don't think a lot of people realize um and so for D, &D with a lot of settings that don't have guns but have full plate armor you're like excluding something for no reason and i did that too because it just felt better to to not have guns but i would probably be open to that in my game have you looked um, in into now. modern campaign rules for combat because a lot of the reason they don't i mean I understand why a lot of people don't do D20. It actually is tremendously... Uh, D20 modern, I should say. Yeah. And why they've had a hard time rebuilding it. Because it, it turns out guns really do make like melee-oriented combat, which is inevitable in those. Yeah. Very hard to balance. I, can, I haven't looked into it. I, I can imagine. Guns, like 1500s era, 1600s era guns, I think, work because they're unreliable and take a long time to reload so like, yeah. pat, like you you get one shot on your turn and that's it they uh, are basically crossbow you have pluses, to reload it yeah basically so. yeah um but when you get to like semi-automatic guns and everything once you get to the 1800s basically it, yeah it uh melee combat just stops being a thing yeah. and then it becomes harder i think with uh battlefields as well with with D, &D and and similar games you have a a gridded battlefield that's maybe um, 100 feet by 200 feet at the largest battlefield you're you'll, you're gonna see, and if everybody's using guns, then that just becomes impractical because nobody's gonna close that distance. Everyone's just gonna be on opposite sides, yep. um, or even expanding outside of that range. That's why one of the only um, one of the modern one of the one shots that I would do if we did this rotation. I don't know if we do it. it Pathfinder, I assume, supports rules of this kind it would have it would have to be a a castle doctrine um night of the living dead scenario where you're basically defending a fortress yeah 
which I think would be a lot of fun. But the problem is, is if you tried to make that an aggressive scenario, if you tried, if it was like an assault on a castle, it would the the rules would completely break down. Because if 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 the wall, if the not the walls closing in, but if like the hordes are closing in, you can build rules. <clears throat> you can build rules around that that are like relatively easy to understand. But yeah. the second you try to convey anything besides that on a map, it gets really complicated. And it's funny because in in my current D anD D campaign, I had that situation. I had it planned out that they were getting my my party, um, XC at all, was getting assaulted by an army, basically. And they had some reinforcements, so it was going to be like them and a dozen allies and some villagers um, against like a um, hundred orcs plus more. Um, the idea was like a Severn Samurai situation where you're like defending this town. Um, and they ended up just just solving it with diplomacy and negotiated their way out of having that fight. God so my damn it. Yeah, my, my, my two day battle. It, it would have been two <laughs> it would have been two sessions. It, it would have been two full sessions, I think, because there was a lot to it. Um, ended up being solved in two hours <laughs> with uh, just some negotiation. What inspired them to negotiate? So the the story was that one of the party members had made a deal with this uh, figure, Kazna, who had set herself up as like this kind of demigoddess uh, uh, queen of this little, her own little kingdom. She kind of stuck to, stuck to herself um, in the uh, in a mountain range southeast of where they where their village was, where they were uh, kind of uh, where they had friends and where they were hiding out and stuff. Um, and they went there chasing after a lead uh, of a necromancer who they were looking for. And they found out that the necromancer stole something of value from her. And so she made a deal with them that they would bring it back and she would become a patron to one of the characters who was a wizard. He and the Lovone warlock and she was his patron. What level Still are your is. characters right now? Right now they're 12. Okay. So this yeah. was this was at level four. Oh, made. okay. So this was a long time. Yeah, ago. this was okay. towards the beginning. This was session like uh, session ten of our campaign. We're currently on sixty six, sixty seven, um, and uh, they agreed to that. He agreed to to become uh, for her to com- become the patron, and they would hunt down the necromancer, kill him, and they would return the dangerous artifact that they uh, that he had. Uh, they ended up not returning it. <laughs> they kept it and kept it, and in game it went by like six i think it was eight months after they made the deal with her uh that they were kind of settling down in this village nearby same village that they left from originally and uh she had run out of patience so she gathered up an army in the mountains and marched towards them and uh was going to take it back by force but was willing to negotiate because bran was her pupil um and she was okay with being a patron to him um so uh the that character ended up negotiating with her and they gave up the dangerous artifact in exchange for her not attacking the town oh okay that kind of diplomacy yes <laughs> we actually did what we the rest said of, we were gonna do yes but the rest of the party did not want to give up the dangerous artifact they there was a lot of discussion about that which was good for me as a dm because i just got to sat, sit back for two hours basically uh, in real time while they just talked about what to do <laughs> and then i got to role play a little bit and uh it was good it was cool yeah so my my next thing actually which kind of relates to that so as much as i love being a dm uh, and i do i i really like coming up with stories coming up with with uh, 
battles, coming up with situations for my players to run into, and then seeing them solve it is great. I like, I love everything about it basically. But it is a lot of work, yep. <laughs> and I am, I've uh, since I started playing D and D now four years ago with my first campaign, I've been nothing but a DM. So it would be nice at some point to uh, actually sit back and be a player. And there is, uh, there's a series that. I don't remember what it's called, but uh, a couple bars throughout Central Florida are doing it where you can sign up to be a player or be a DM at a table with, with strangers. So I might sign up for that just to get to be a player. I don't know. Haven't haven't decided yet, but it would be interesting. The only time I've done it with strangers was at Gen Con, the one time I went, ah, which okay. was... They were testing out Pathfinder. I don't even remember which edition it was, but it was just funny because we... Um, we were supposed to, the the gimmick of it was that there was a party, like there were all these parties at different tables and like the final conflagration was supposed to be that like you fused with the table that was nearest to you oh, for like okay. a dual combat thing, <laughs> except that the table next to us got completely wiped on the way up. So we had like three people to fight this dragon, what's it or something. So it didn't go very well. But, yeah, I, uh, I can imagine. <laughs> we were not, we were not that good at it. Yeah. Pathfinder seems all right. Yeah, so um, wrote about this too. <laughs> so Pathfinder, so um, with D and D with Fifth Edition. So I I've played one session of three five, and that was it. And I didn't know what was going on. Somebody basically just gave me a character sheet and told me what to do. So I didn't really have much agency in it. Um, so pretty much all of my experience with tabletop rpgs comes from D fifth edition which isn't good there are a lot of good things about it but the more and more that i play it and especially the more and more that i dm it uh the more things i hate about it <laughs> um so i have ended up uh tinkering with uh, potential changes to rules. The campaign that I'm doing now is mostly run rules as written because it's really my first full-length campaign and I didn't want to mess with too much stuff. But every session we go through, I'm like, well, there's one thing that I would want to change if I do another campaign. And so I was making a list of things that I would want to homebrew, basically. Yeah. And uh, then somehow I ran across Pathfinder 2nd Edition and started reading the rules and realized that a lot of the things that I wanted to change about fifth edition <laughs> Pathfinder second edition actually does. So <laughs> decided to try doing that instead. Are there any particular cinches in the list of stuff that it does? Yeah. So there, there, well, there are a bunch, but um, one is uh, ranged weapons um, in fifth edition uh, with, ranged weapons you add your dexterity modifier to attack and damage rolls um, and range is just safer than melee so even though range weapons may be one die size smaller than melee weapons that's an average of one damage a hit so there's no reason to be melee you just be ranged take that one damage penalty but you're safer you can hide behind stuff and, and attack from 100 feet away and everything like that so it's just not very balanced so one thing that i toyed with was giving bows at least um the abilities uh, so that uh they would get damage based on strength because the stronger you are the more you can draw a bow i mean a, a long bow takes 100 pounds it's a 100 pound draw weight sure. you can't do that are there any weak. i don't even remember do they have strength requirements in D? &D they for... don't okay no, there's, there's nothing they like used that. to 
There oh, used really? to be strength requirements okay. based on the bow. Yeah, so so for longbows, they're they're heavy weapons, but heavy just means that if you're a small character, you have disadvantage on the attack roll. That's all heavy means for, for weapons. That's even more confusing than I could have possibly imagined. Yeah, well, and the other thing is weapon traits. So D&D 5th edition has like six weapon traits maybe, but all the weapons play the same. Like mechanically, there's no difference really between... Um, a bow and if you have crossbow expert with which is a feat that just kind of breaks the game um, there's no difference with the crossbow there's no difference between a battle axe and a long sword like the weapons don't feel different uh, which i think they should and it's funny because i've looked on forums and stuff and there are some people who think that D should just go to like removing weapons and just you pick a die size for your weapon and get to choose the flavor of it which i just I don't like. I want there to be like some mechanic, some structure that's built into it. Um, so with Pathfinder, every weapon has a trait. Um, so going back to like bows, bows have the propulsive trait. Um, so you add half your strength modifier to the damage. Dexterity doesn't get added to the damage. You still use your dexterity for the hit because um, you can aim better, I guess, at longer range. But you add half your strength modifier to the damage, which is cool. It surprises um, me that Pathfinder uses the same set of attributes that um, that D and D does. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't break it down more. Because every time, I mean, I'm I'm very familiar with this making a list of things to change about right. the system yeah. and changing it. I did during my period of being nothing but a DM. I, nothing I did. I I just I was just constantly switching the system up. And the first thing that I changed almost every time was the attributes because in particular that's dexterity fair. is radically overpowered. Well that and that's it is in, in fifth edition. Like dexterity is a god stat. And in Pathfinder I feel like the attributes are more balanced. I haven't played enough. I played one session so it's hard for me to say I'm an expert. Um, but just looking at the, all the things that each attribute does, they feel a lot more balanced. Wisdom might be better than anything else because it, it affects a save and your perception. Um, but but everything I feel else like, is good. I feel like, like they're working it backwards, though, because they don't, like, in particular, the reason dexterity, it makes sense. Like, if in a vacuum, without looking at the systems, I would expect dexterity to be the most useful because... In a game that is oriented around gear one motion where you are reacting to things, the fact yeah. that the stat for both finesse, reaction time, and general like alacrity and speed are all the same is very strange. Yeah. Like that does because that in that has no analog to real life. Like it, it's true. And that's one way I think that, that Pathfinder has balanced it better a little bit. So dexterity, you can use a, to hit with some weapons. Like finesse weapons, you can use your dexterity for the hit, like a dagger or a rapier. Do they not do finesse in 5th edition? Finesse is different in 5th fifth, fifth edition. Finesse, no, actually finesse means that you can use dexterity or um, strength. Yeah, because that was so, in 3. Yeah, So, so. But, but finesse means you can use dexterity for the hit, but the damage is still strength, except in very... Um, very uh rare situations there's one rogue subclass i think that adds that adds dexterity to damage um, but for the most part if you're using a melee weapon your your bonus damage comes from strength and then sometimes you can choose dexterity for the hit if you want to be more accurate and you can just play a dex character and forgo that extra damage and that's fine but uh um, and that works for rogues or swashbucklers or some others but uh and I think that makes it a lot more balanced because dexterity ends up not being just better than every other stat like it is in 5e. Well, there's also the um, 
the thing that we totally ignored in our little Pathfinder game was uh, lore mm-hmm. has material consequences. Yeah. Yeah, the skills in general are better. Like in in fifth edition, so that that ends up being the the other main thing that I like about Pathfinder. Really, there are a couple of things, but the the action economy. So in in fifth edition D anD D, you get an action, a bonus action, movement, a reaction, and a free action that is very loosely defined in fifth edition. Um, usually, just dropping Equip. dropping something can be a free action. Um, but otherwise, it's it's there aren't a lot of reactions, um, which means that if you want to attack something, that's your action. You can't do anything else. So if you want to like investigate something while a combat's going on, like maybe there's objectives around the battlefield and stuff, you forgo your entire attack in order to do that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a little weird. Um, I had a battle recently where there were a bunch of pillars uh, or rune stones around that I kind of wanted the party to interact with and kind of how the battle land I, I forced them into it um but one of the characters is a monk monks get four attacks if they use flurry of blows um so they use their action to attack they get a second attack and then they can use flurry of blows to do two more attacks so four attacks but if you use your action to interact with an object like to investigate it or look at it or something you don't get any attacks <laughs> because you can only use flurry of blows to do attacks if you made an attack action with your original attack. Right. So it's just kind of feels bad when you don't get to do your main thing just because you're interacting with the environment, which is what you should be doing. Otherwise, it's just a boring fight where you're standing next to each other just trading punches. Um, so what Pathfinder does, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, is it has three actions. Um, three actions, reaction, and free action. And free actions are a little bit more well-defined. Uh, a lot of character feats that you get as you level up will turn certain actions into free actions because your character just gets better at doing them. Um, but with the three-action economy, you can kind of... It's so much more flexible. You could use one action to try to recall knowledge about an enemy that you're fighting to learn its weaknesses or its strengths, um, which is what you're talking about with the, the lores being important. Yeah. Uh, then you could use the second action to move and then use your third action to attack. And that would be your turn. It goes back. I mean, that's more stuff in a round than you get to do in D&D. Right. Um, so weirdly, I think that the rounds go faster in Pathfinder just because you're not agonizing over any particular choice because they're, it's more flexible. You can do more stuff so that you don't feel uh, as constrained. Although the three actions still constrain you enough that you still consider what you're doing, which is cool. There's no XCOM equivalent. They don't. Uh, they don't game it down that far. Where you have the two action version. I just. It's interesting that they chose three of all. Yeah. Things. yeah. I mean, I chose three for at least the the versions of the FTL RPG that I was going for. Although in that system, I uh, because F, because that campaign campaign's the wrong word. <laughs> it, system. I, I. I. The word I was looking for was system. I just didn't want to say it again. Um. Because FTL will ostensibly be taking place on a ship for the most part. Um. A lot of the emphasis on it is what you can do in a timely fashion right. and what you can do carefully. So you have three actions, but you can take more actions. You just pay for it potentially. Yeah. And three seemed like the right number, but also what you can do with an action in the system that I was developing is much more limited than okay. it would be. 
it's each turn is like a beat right in the game so you know you can move you can move three times that's three actions step 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 you can press a button fire a gun <laughs> and step once right unless i mean i don't want to attempt to pitch a thing i haven't finished but like that's but like i settled on three but in in the system that i'm talking i mean in pathfinder i don't actually know i mean if you're a fighter if you're a level 15 fighter how many how many times can you stab in a turn so there there are feats that give you like multiple attacks with one action okay um, so, so it's like, like double slice okay yeah right. so the, the whole thing is based on on feats each class is a chassis and then um, every level you get a feat. Every two levels you get a class feat. So uh, those are kind of what define your class. So if you want to be a fighter that attacks five times a turn, you can do that. <laughs> Might not be accurate, but you'll get a lot of attacks. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, and I'm trying to. I'm just thinking. So you can you can attack three times in one turn. Uh, yeah, every character can attack three times in one turn from the very beginning with yep. no nothing else needed. <laughs> Is there a penalty on subsequent attacks? There is. Okay, yeah, it's right. the multi-path, multi-attack penalty. So if you're using a normal weapon, um, each second attack is minus 5 to hit. Um, third attack would be minus 10 to hit. If you have a fourth attack, it would be minus 15, which makes it very hard to hit something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then if you have uh, an agile weapon, that penalty is reduced to minus 4, minus 8. And then there's a, a feat as well that reduces it if you have an agile weapon to like minus 3, minus 6. So yeah. it can be easier to multi-attack if you build for that. It was one of the weird things that they... Um, they, don't, they, they don't explain it away per se in D&D, but they sort of suggest that you're not striking once that an attack is just like a general like like they don't they don't treat it like a discrete hit right um in a lot of ways um yeah it ends up being a little weird if you think of it in D&D because if you have a fighter even a level 1 fighter is supposed to be like an expert fighter and a D&D round is 6 seconds and you can only attack once in those six seconds until you're level five. Yeah. And then you can attack twice. So this this expert fighter who's going on adventures can swing their sword once every six seconds. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, the, the conceit of it's very strange. Yeah. But I mean if you were to redo if if you had to just start over and choose a system to do with the XCL campaign, would you switch to Pathfinder at this point? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. This I, I don't want to change it now in the middle of the campaign. Sure. My guess, and it's hard to say because things could change depending on the party's actions. My guess is that this campaign's got another like two to three months. Um, pro- we'll probably end at around like level fifteen or so, um, and then after that, I want to switch to a Pathfinder campaign. Okay. I like even even just running one session. I like it better. Maybe it's just because it's new. It's shiny, but uh, a lot of things that I wanted to change about Five E are already in Pathfinder too. So I may as well use that have you looked into any other systems not really no are these the only two that you've played you've played 5e and pathfinder mm, yeah i think so yeah i think maybe in middle school i tried doing the star one of the star wars <laughs> rpgs but uh yeah I've actually played and looked into these are the only two i don't know if disney's put out a new one of those no i don't know i'd be surprised yeah i don't i don't actually know whether one of those exists yeah there's a, I guess there's a root RPG right now, which, oh, okay. which is interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably all right. I don't know. Probably. I don't know. I like the little forest creatures in root, but I don't know how the game plays. Yeah. D&D always, was always funny, and uh, I assume Pathfinder 
can do the majority of the same thing. D&D, a lot, some of the appeal of D&D is that you can literally like put anything into it and it, mm-hmm. and it just, so, like you can have anything fight anything else. It's yeah. like a combat simulator that way. Uh, one one thing that is um, that always discriminates D and D from um, a lot of RPG systems that come around it. White Wolf comes to mind, although I don't think I think White Wolf has basically fallen off at this point. I haven't heard about a White Wolf campaign in a long time. Um, <clears throat> everybody has like a lot of hit points in Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, and in Pathfinder for that matter. Yeah. Like you can you can get hit a lot of times without feeling it. Whereas in like games like Savage Worlds and White Wolf and that kind of stuff, like I think it's like if you, you know a tank in a White Wolf campaign has seven hit points. Yeah. Because yeah, they can get hit seven times. That's an incredible number of times for someone to get hit in a way that is consequential. Yeah, hit um, points are a weird abstraction in, in D&D and, and similar games. Yeah. Well, and and some of that, I assume, is just because they have to figure out... I mean, you were saying your, your, your party's going to be at level 15 by the time they're done. I mean, that's coming up with a way to improve a humanoid character so that they like feel like they get better... 14 times consecutively yeah you end up with some interesting scenarios well and in D D, you don't unless you're a spellcaster you don't really make choices for your character after level three um which is odd for an rpg when you're supposed to be building a character um i don't know enough about 5e to say but... yeah you you're pretty much locked into your character's growth after level three when you pick your subclass do they not have prestige classes they don't really no. yeah they there, there are some exceptions but oh. for the most part yeah you you don't make any meaningful choices for your character after level three. Oh, that's weird yeah okay it is strange fair enough yeah i'm just yeah i it is just the the, the fact uh, i guess the point i was making with the other one is that there's D is not actually even though it is like a game full of humans it um it treats all humans the same in a way that is extremely at odds with with if we were trying to make this reality and Pathfinder is a little bit better about it for reasons that we've already discussed but it's like yeah. you know, the, the the example that I always give for this is like in MMA you're not allowed to fight someone else if you weigh 10 pounds more than they do yeah because it's not fair <laughs> right <laughs> and in D&D if you're if if you are three feet tall you get like a minus one to certain activities and a plus one to certain acti- like just the scale of the game is insane to accommodate the leveling system yeah and pathfinder i mean pathfinder is mostly the same way because you still you can fight dragons in pathfinder yeah and it's just like the idea of dragons having stats that are like comparable to humans in like some meaningful it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense at all yeah it, it's weird <laughs> <laughs> they're just all in the same it's like a dragon's claw is like a sword in you know it can be compared on an attack and a def like it's yeah uh, which is necessary because you want the game to just be as open as possible and what D has done is they've just fully fully emphasized the openness of right it. There, there aren't that many. It's weird to say there aren't that many rules. Yeah, and that's one reason I think why Five E is is as popular as it is. I think it's the most popular D and D edition that's ever been out. Um, it be- it has to be. Is because it's it's pretty easy on its surface to pick up and play. Like character creation is pretty easy. 
most uh, combats, you either just have your your um, attribute bonus and your weapon, and maybe advantage or disadvantage. There aren't any other numbers that you have to add or subtract. In most cases, there are exceptions because they didn't go all the way with the advantage or disadvantage system. So there are weird things like cover that break that. Um, and then, of course, you get into it. Well, if you have six sources of advantage and one source of disadvantage, they still cancel out because they don't stack at all. Um, I do like the elegance of the advantage-disadvantage system. I'm yeah. not sure how... It does need to be more sophisticated. I'm yeah. not sure how to do that without just reintroducing pluses and minuses. Yeah. But the other thing that I found with it from the DM side, because I have not been a player in 5e, is that a lot of the legwork falls on the DM because the rules are so loose, um, which makes it hard, especially when your party gets to higher levels. You know, at, at 1, 2, 3, it's pretty easy once you get up to like 10, 11, 12, when your party has infinite options basically for their characters, it just, it's a lot of work. Yeah, well, the, um, the creep, the stat creep is very real. I mean, it's yeah. every every role you make as a level 10 character outclasses every role you make as a level 1 character. And yeah. like, you don't like, but they're still doing like, so, a lot of the things they're still doing are basic human things. Yeah. So you you have to somehow balance those two, and that's always that's always struck me as a strange. I never played a campaign for long enough to. I, I think the highest level I ever did in a campaign until we just uh, we actually did um, we skipped all those middles. Uh, I think we were at like six or seven, and then we just decided to do an epic level campaign just mm. for fun. Like we did this like five years later. Oh, cool. And That's then neat. we just and then we did everybody at level thirty, I believe, <laughs> okay. just to like see what that was, was about. That in three five or something. Yeah, it was in three five, and okay. it, that was that was a good time because you just you know it, it opens the playing field. Yeah. Like everyone is everyone at that point is just tempted to be silly in the way that they behave. And that's that's good for two or three sessions. I don't know that it's good for like an actual, you know. Yeah, it's a little One Punch Man ish. I, I like the progression of growing from. So my current campaign's gone from two to twelve um, over the course of sixty six sessions, and the progression's nice. Just seeing your characters grow from like this small little force where you're fighting animated plants to fighting uh, a giant demon in the mountains. <laughs> so. There are uh, seeing that progression is nice, and I think I think for my players it's it's been good as well. Um, just the gradual growth of strength, and that's I mean that's it's good still for just shorter one shots and stuff. Like originally when we were going to do candle keep with rotating DMs, and then that fell through because of scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been pretty fun, I think. But it's not impossible to pick up. It would no, just it'd be, be it would be yeah. fine, I think. Yeah. Um, pretty pretty easy and there are lots of short little modules and everything so if somebody were to dm who doesn't have the experience and didn't want to homebrew everything like i do because i'm a glutton for punishment like that then there there are lots of materials people can use it's annoying to use a prefab campaign space because the players are allowed to look into it Mm, that's fair and that actually becomes um that can become a pain point if you're if you're if your like player characters aren't trying to get one over on you. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. But the most annoying thing I found as a DM was the realization that you know no matter how many times they say it in the rules, if it's in the book, it's in the book. And the fact that you don't happen to have the book memorized yeah. um, every time that comes back to bite you, 
Like you have to like negotiating. That's not fun. It's and, not. And you and it's much. And as long as you're making the, as long as you're not doing a terrible job generating your own world, you're hopefully not tripping yourself up. Um, and that's that's entertaining. I mean, I the, the reason I liked being a DM was the world building aspect. Oh of yeah, it, I, so. I love that part of it. Yeah, it's fantastic. So. Yeah. I mean, speaking of like random one-off games, I still I I kind of want to play that. Um, it's not really a game. It's basically just a method. Um, that thing where you build like a land mass and then you populate it with species. Yeah, what, what, then, what was that? Anomaly? I don't remember. I don't remember his name. Anom- anomalous species. Anom- no. Anomaly. Was I don't. Anomaly is the name of the is the name of the the thing where there's a team of experts dealing with a pro oh, I, I don't okay. remember the name of it but yeah, I, no, I, I i remember that was that was interesting yeah i like games like that a lot yeah like i don't i don't need the i don't need the dramatic conflict i just want to <laughs> i just want to like spin the gears and then see see what happens when you fling them off well there's, you were in the short little one shot we did that's turning into like a two or three shot is that like the right length and the right stakes for for a I like arcs. type thing yeah i like arcs this is the thing that i've i've noticed about movies and about tv shows that i enjoy is i i like when there it doesn't need to be like three acts but there has to be like this sense of like going somewhere and arriving right um and you know a one a one to three shot campaign is very good for that um or a game where, for example, you create a landmass or fiasco or anomaly or any of these other games are very are very much in that vein, which is why yeah why I tend to enjoy them more. Um, that and I just I, I, I don't know. There's something about D and D campaigns, uh, the sessions going for eight hours that I just don't like. Four hours is enough for me. <laughs> I don't need a, I don't need it to take all day. I don't think we've had any session that went longer than five five is I think, oh, okay. the longest and we've only had one or two of those usually we're around three to four okay that's that's reasonable i didn't yeah. think, okay and that's... i think and i think our our pathfinder heist was about four hours yeah it was somewhere around there yeah i would have so. complained if it was longer than that yeah because so. i just don't like i don't i don't have that kind of energy that's so. right <laughs> what kind of technology do you use in your campaigns at this point what have you permitted onto the table? So I usually, um, I like having things printed out because it's easier to read than looking something up on a computer um, for the most part. Um, so behind my DM screen, I'll usually have two to four, two to five um, printed sheets of paper that I'll have up and on the table so I can reference them. Um, and then in addition to that, to supplement it, um, I don't put any creature stat blocks on those pages. Those are all just like NPCs and story beats and locations and, and things like that. Um, so as far as, um, as far as looking up creature stat blocks and things like that and spells, (laughs) because I don't have all the spells memorized. So looking those up is important. I will have my laptop and sometimes a phone or tablet along with me just to look those things up. What do the PCs use? The players. The player. Yeah. Player yeah. Yes. Yes. I the players. You, I was sorry. Sorry. PC, oh, computer. No, yep, yep. Okay. Yep. yep. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do the players use? Uh, they all have laptops. Um, so most of them have their characters either on D and D Beyond or uh, Roll Twenty or for Pathfinder, it's on Pathbuilder. 
Um, so um, it's easier to look up your characters there, I think. It's still nice to have a physical sheet. I think Patrick prints out his sheets for himself and Anna, but I think everybody else just uses digital. Um, and most people use real dice. I use real dice, too. I don't like... I mean, it's not as fun to just yeah. click a button on a computer yeah, yeah, to have a dice roll. Yeah. We want to have the quack of, of real dice. Right. Um, so I think all of us use real dice, which is nice. Um, so they mostly have it to look up uh, reference spells and, and keep their character sheets on computers and stuff. What informa- What is the most sophisticated information that you keep in a digital space for your campaign? I have a 250-page uh campaign doc um on my google drive which has notes from every session um along with just general notes um and it's just in a flat doc file it's just in a flat doc okay it's getting slow google docs, <laughs> is, google docs is not made for for hundreds of page documents but uh yeah it's it's 250 pages now actually it might be a little bit longer um yeah, I... and most stuff is in there. Um, if I make custom creatures, um, there are tools for stat blocks online that I use, um, and I'll save those as PDFs just so I have the the stat block which I can I can reference. I'll keep those on on Google Drive just so I can pull them up easy. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it is stat blocks and Google Docs. What's the most? Have you used any tabletop oriented software? in the past when we were uh doing this campaign online um after the pandemic started we started by doing it uh, virtually so we were using roll 20 um to do everything so i had uh, maps some of which i drew poorly uh (laughs) some of which i just stole from from reddit or other places um and i could put those on there um and uh yeah that that was really the only one i think i've looked into other resources especially for for building monsters sometimes i use uh kobold fight club which is used to build encounters for 5e just to try to balance them a little bit i've stopped using it because for level 12 characters it doesn't matter anymore you can't balance (laughs) encounters at this point um so you just kind of have to do it more by ear than using the numbers that that wizards of the coast provides yeah i got I got very bad about that. I had a I had a specific character. Um, I had a specific NPC that I used, named Ruzu, who was basically the super ego in my DM head to fix fights at higher levels so that they made sense. Okay. But I was at a stage, I was literally like eight years old when I was doing this. So I didn't like understand how, I wasn't quite that young. I was probably <laughs> 10. Um, fifth grade. Yeah, no, somewhere nine or 10 years old. Um, and this character, every time like it was clear that a fight was going poorly or was going too well, this character would appear to alter the fight deliberately. Um because for some reason it wasn't like I wasn't allowed to just cheat. I had to like yeah. build in a an environment in which this fight is suddenly more complicated or simpler than it previously was. Right. Um, which as a DM is completely unnecessary. But, uh, uh, you know, when I was a nine-year-old autistic child, apparently I needed like the justification to give someone more HP. Um it was just a weird aside back when I was playing DM for too long. Yeah. 
Um, one one thing that I like to do to to balance fights um, a little bit is Schrodinger's reinforcements. <laughs> so if the battle is going really well for the party, then reinforcements will arrive for the um, person that they're fighting um, to kind of stagger everything and, and keep the fight going a little bit longer if it needs to. And I don't see that all the time, um, but it's, it's nice to have that in reserve if needed. Yeah. Um, and then if it's going really hard and taking a long time, then no reinforcements will show up. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it, like it's not hard to, it's not yeah. hard to scale that stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's why does the Kobold fight club thing have a problem with level 12? Is it just too chaotic at that point? So it, it's based on the, uh, guidelines for building encounters that are set in the uh, dungeon master guide uh, for dm uh, for for 5e um, which is based on the cr so creature rating yeah um, so creature rating assumes that um, let's say you have a level 12 party uh, four it's for a party of four so if you have a level four um, let's say you have a, a party of four level 12 characters then the uh, dmg assumes that a like moderate account encounter would be one level 12 creature in practice that's not going to happen uh, uh, four level 12 characters will just annihilate one single level 12 <laughs> creature in like a round maybe two um so it ends up not being moderate it's not going to burn resources at all and so uh, when you get up to trying to do more difficult encounters they can just kind of become a slog i don't want to have just something with a thousand hit points that's going to take forever to kill I want there to be something more interesting in the fight. <laughs> Mickey, go away. Cat. Okay, you can stay there. It's intense cat interference going on. Yeah, here. yeah. There you go. Good. Good boy. <laughs> um, it just breaks down at higher levels because characters have too many options. And one weird thing is that 5e kind of prides itself on having bounded accuracy which means that a level one character can potentially hit a level 20 enemy um and lower level enemies stay threatening to characters at high levels because if you have enough goblins they can still hit players and, and stuff like that except that the math for that breaks down when you get to higher levels because monsters start just breaking bounded accuracy um for player characters your ac pretty much is not going to be any higher after level five you might get magic armor that increases your ac um but just because of the weird progression system your ac is probably set in stone by about level five but creatures keep scaling their attack modifier so when you're level five and have 18 ac a creature might only have a 35 percent chance to hit you but if you're level 15 and have 18 ac then a creature is going to have like a plus 12 to hit modifier. They're going to hit you on a three. So, yeah. Um, or a six, whatever. Um, they have a very high chance. There really aren't any mitigators you. for that, are there? No, no, they're not. Um, so, it's strange. Yeah. And Pathfinder 2E, even though the numbers scale, it actually has a more bounded accuracy system just because everything kind of scales with itself. <laughs> oh, to well some there's degree. the what is it the proficiency bonus yes it's just basically a yeah. plus that gets applied to literally everything yeah. so so you'll you'll end up and, and there are ways you can specialize but you'll have if you're a level one character attacking a level one creature you'll about have about the same percentage chance to hit it as you would if you're a level 20 character attacking a level 20 creature that can fluctuate depending on what you actually specialize in and the tactics of the battlefield and stuff but 
there's not going to be a situation like in 5e where the math just breaks down at higher levels because things outscale the bounded accuracy um and and players too like monster ac keeps going up even though players can get ridiculous armor classes like 25 if you're an artificer or something um and monsters can get up there too but players will keep scaling their plus hit but it maxes out um you'll have maybe a, a character with plus five in their main stat plus six proficiency so that's plus 11 and maybe they have a plus three weapon as well so they'll max out at level 20 at a plus 14 to hit that's the highest any character is ever going to get um accepting weird buffs like from clerics and, and bards and things um so if you're fighting something with a 20 ac you're going to hit a lot and that feels good and a lot of things around level 18 20 have 20 ac but then you start fighting like gods and yeah. monsters and stuff that yeah have, things like, that 20, are actually 24 25 ac and you've already maxed out your to hit so you can't hit them any more effectively than you can't could before um you'll you'll just have a lower chance to hit which i think feels a little bit bad i mean i think the math is set up so that players are supposed to hit like 65 percent of the time or 55 percent of the time something like that uh but it just kind of breaks down when you get to really high levels yeah i don't know that's that kind of math is what has kept me from playing uh and do too much it's <laughs> it just became it became something that i am more of a systems guy which yeah. i guess is why i'm making a systems based tabletop game that's fair well Instead. and then the other thing is spells so D 5e has a lot of save or suck spells where the enemy saves and nothing happens or the enemy fails and suddenly he's paralyzed and the party can just kill him without my cool homebrewed boss monster getting to do anything um and while he's dead in two rounds um so that's kind of a weird quirk of the system as well is that there are a lot of save and suck spells save or suck i guess does pathfinder not have a lot of those no it doesn't um pathfinder instead of having save or suck uses four degrees of success so if you cast a spell on something if they critically succeed on their save then nothing will happen but that's unlikely um, if they just normal succeed, something will still happen. Like if you try to cast uh, fear on an enemy, if they succeed on their save, they're still frightened one. So something still happens, and that frightened one can make a big difference. If they fail, then they're frightened two, which is a lot worse. Um, and then if they critically fail, they're frightened three and fleeing, which means that they have to use one action to, I think at least one action, to run away from whatever they're closest to. Um, so four degrees of success. So not there, there's not really any cases where anything's going to be just save or suck, like hold monster or hold person in 5e. That is an interesting concession to simplicity they make there with the saves although a lot of the time there is sort of there are sort of three three modes um because there are a, a lot of a lot of spells and effects will hit you no matter what but there are ways to prevent that from occurring that's true. um yeah. evasion comes to mind but you um but yeah it's at most three it's not nearly that dynamic yeah. which is interesting because that makes the um not that D is terribly 
story heavy when it comes to combat, even though that's a little ironic given the way that the <laughs> combat is set up and its vagaries. But um, I, I feel like I would prefer as a DM to be given a little more instruction about what something is like on a flavor basis. Although maybe maybe that becomes constricting. I don't know. It's been a while. I'm just thinking if you know if if it's an all or nothing thing on becoming scared versus being told that they are scared levels one, two, or three. Yeah, you're you're more scared. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm trying to think which of those is more. Because it's really it doesn't does it really take any more off your mind to have the level of granularity because you have to consider it either way. Yeah. Well, um, and and the thing is that the designers of of five e knew that saber suck spells could be a problem so that's the whole reason the legendary resistance mechanic is in the game which i hate <laughs> so legendary resistance for anybody who doesn't know is that uh, legendary monsters get a certain number of legendary resistances which they can use in a fight and it means if they fail a save or something uh, they can choose to succeed instead okay so this is what they do instead of giving them just immunity to everything yeah yeah. It's an alternative to that. Which I guess is better than that. But it, I, I just don't like the idea of it. It's like you, you cast your spell, you, you succeeded, but nothing happened because they just used the legendary resistance. So what I do is I, I don't use legendary resistances. I haven't. Uh, what I do instead is I give all my monsters a legendary action um, if, if they're a legendary monster, um, which they can use to remove debuffs in this in the same way that the legendary resistance would prevent them um for some cost like maybe they have to to lose some hp or maybe they have to like suck the life force out of one of their minions or something like that so it, it costs them a resource and costs them a legendary action um so something still happens when the spellcaster uses their spell um rather than just the creature deciding oh nope i'm just gonna use this legendary resistance and it avoids that whole mini game where where people are just trying to burn all of the legendary resistances from a creature so they can finally stun it and kill it. Which I don't know. That's a dumb mini game. Look, it's opinion. gimmicks all the way down. You just got to pick. Them. Yeah, it's, you got to pick mean, the gimmicks that you work with. Yeah. yeah well, and it's it, it's basically it's a natural extension of hit points. I mean, it's yeah, it's the idea fair. that you just wear them down until yeah they're damaged. That's fair. Um, which is also very binary in five e. It it is. It's, binary and pathfinder too yeah. yeah you're either you either have hit points and you can fight or you don't and you're unconscious and i kind of it's it's sort of where i was going with the with the technology thing because to do it in any more sophisticated a fashion i i tried many times to implement more sophisticated methods of uh damage and the problem is keeping track of them is very hard yeah um the numbers stack up very very rapidly um, even though it is, it, it's inherently more interesting to be hit somewhere instead of just to be hit. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's just hard to track. And one thing is, if it, it would kind of feel bad if your character is getting weaker and weaker as they lose HP, which would maybe be more realistic. Although it'd be interesting if for barbarians to reverse that and they get stronger and stronger as they lose HP. Well, there's there's um, a um, there's a thing I forget which campaign uh, which uh, system it's in where that's that's sort of the barbarian edge is that they actually have hit points and nobody yeah. else does. Yeah. Um, so you can sort of flip that idea on its head. Um, no, because I mean it, it does sort of just betray my allegiances. I mean, I 
I like Coen Brothers movies because you end up in these situations where everyone is like massively compromised in these conflicts. And that's like what I like out of like, I don't like super heroics. I like, (laughs) I like um, the mundane being elevated to the status of hero. Like that's, that's my, that's where I like to live. And that's, that's the, that's where it, it would be nice to know that someone got hit in the leg and they have to deal with the fact that their leg doesn't work really well for the next six hours. Yeah. Like, that's what I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So. Cold shots like that are, are, I imagine, very difficult to actually work into a system and make them balanced, which is why they just don't exist in 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 5e. They kind of do in pathfinder i think rogues can can target rogues and swashbucklers can target like arms or or legs and it and it gives some sort of debuff if they do that but uh yeah otherwise it's just abstract hp all the way down dm has enough to take care of as is yes yeah they do Yeah. yeah it's 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 exhausting but rewarding to to do it each but you'd think the PCs would be able to take care of that, right? You On their think, side? You would think so. Would, P- PCs, to... PCs are not good at keeping track of things, I've found, as yeah. someone who's DM'd for about maybe a dozen different PCs at this point. <laughs> yeah, which is where, it's where the thing, again, um, trying to come up with a, a systems-oriented tabletop game, I feel the need to involve computer assistance, and I'm not sure how to do it because... Yeah. It's very easy for the computer, um, for computer-assisted world design, campaign design, to just overwhelm the actual experience of being at the table. Um, So you have to be careful about that. Um, Well, I know know some tables um, delegate responsibilities a little bit. Like, they'll have one person who's in track, uh, keeping track of initiative if they're in combat, one person who's taking notes about things that are happening. Uh, one person who's keeping track of uh, all their their inventory and, and things like that. Um, but I, I don't know that every table does that. I'm not sure that mine does. They they take notes sometimes and they <laughs> they sort of keep track of inventory mostly on on D and D Beyond. <laughs> so, but it's tough. I mean, that's whenever whenever I think about. How to, it, it feels like it would be the perfect opportunity in the FTL universe to have someone basically play the intelligence behind the system. Yeah. So you have you have your GM, um, since you wouldn't technically be in dungeons, you'd be a game master. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you have some. Then you have basically um, Oz behind the curtain, pulling the strings and making sure that everything's actually working correctly. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm enough of a control freak that I like having my hands on everything. I like doing the storytelling. I like keeping track of combat. I like I like doing all that, even though it's a lot of work. Yeah, I I enjoy it. So. Yeah. but it's not for everybody, for sure. And it may become overwhelming depending on what you're trying to accomplish. That's what's true. The, what's the largest number of what is the largest scale combat you've done? Oh, it was probably Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> oh, that's fair. With, uh, what did we end up with? 11 PCs. Yeah, it was a lot. And uh, probably a dozen uh, dozen enemies. So, yeah, it, it was, I mean, there was probably 20, but a lot of them were, were just smaller mooks. Um, yeah, yeah that, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was too much. 
That was too much. Well, that's fair. My normal four to six is the right number. Yeah. I don't like having more than four PCs. Yeah. I feel like I'm not giving enough attention to people. Four is that. probably ideal. Um, this campaign started with five. We had six for a long time, and then and now we're back down to five. Five feels okay for this campaign. Um, so yeah, four four or five is is pretty good. Is your whole team invested in combat? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they all are. Yeah, they all have their unique uh, things that their characters like to do, and they kind of stick with those things. And okay. Yeah, they're all invested in it as far as I know, which I mean, makes I, me feel good. Yeah, specifically in the combat, I mean. It's just because I could see in five people there being varying levels of interest in fighting. It, it's tough, yeah, and especially when we had the 11-person game, uh, because turns, it takes a while to get back. To yeah, your it turn. does. Um, it, it's like in board games too if you have a turn-based board game um like when we played a six-person villainous that just took ages yeah um and i just... I, I really enjoy villainous at like two three or four but with six it was just awful yeah. <laughs> um so yeah if, if it takes a long time to to get back to your turn yeah it, it's easy to lose that engagement uh, the thing for me is, as DM is that it's always my turn. I'm always keeping track of something, so sure. I don't ever lose focus or lose engagement. But if, if I'm a player and it's taking 20 minutes to get back to my turn, then yeah, it, it's hard. So that's why four is a good number, four to five. Agreed. Do you have any other things you want to hit? Um, I think that was most of it. Let's see. Yeah, I talked about Pathfinder, talked about what I like about D&D, all the storytelling and homebrewing. Oh, how about, um, I didn't write this down, but how about inspirations for stuff? Because you were a DM for a long time. What do you use as inspiration for your worlds when you're creating them? For the worlds, I'd have to think about this for a second. And done. Um, (laughs) I read Discworld books growing Mm -hmm. up, so that was my predominant influence. Discworld is obviously influenced by Tolkien the way that everything is just with rye British humor yeah I mean it's it's essentially Douglas Adams meets Middle Earth is what it amounts to with a little bit more I guess it's more thuggish than that that's not fair it's 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 a more urban have have you read the Discworld series I haven't oh I should I have to recommend it because it's one of like five fictional series I've ever read yeah um no it um it it is it's high fantasy crossed with a a kind of like urban slumminess um and it's last time i read it which was like eight years ago it was quite funny um and you can start in like six different places because pratchett came up with a whole cast of characters and follows like different groups of them around right um rincewind is in the first book and he's like a He's like a wizard dropout who runs across a um, runs across what is effectively a Chinese tourist. Okay. Um, that japes and Sue. It's they're fun. Uh, they're 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 a good time, and um, they I don't know how much they actually informed what I what I brought. I I mean it was a fusion of Discworld and Forgotten Realms. Which okay. was the campaign? That was the campaign setting that all of my stuff took place in. Um, we we were very specific in where it was located because we were 
the reason we played Dungeons and Dragons was predominantly because of the Baldur's Gate series. Right. So things took place around Baldur's Gate and Omn and the cities of that vicinity. Um, the other one that the Sword Coast. Yeah, the Sword Coast in yeah. general. There's a city up uh, Silvery Moon. There we go. Uh, Silvery Moon is basically the upper middle class suburb of. Uh, the Forgotten Realms. So a lot of campaigns took place there. Okay, it's basically a college town for elves, dwarves, and humans. Nice. Um, so it 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 just seemed like the clean living everybody was looking for. So that's what we went with. Um, so in that regard, I don't know. See, and this is why I kind of want to try the. This is why the one shot thing appeals to me because I yeah. haven't like. I haven't constructed a world for a high fantasy setting in a long time. I, I like I don't know what it would look like at this point. I would That's have fair. to I, I would have to stew on it because I don't I don't traditionally like the fantasy setting. Yeah. because um, most of the good movies that have ever been made weren't made in that setting. They were made <laughs> in they were made in a seventies ish like milieu of technology, but not too much technology. And there's <laughs> like this that dynamic is very appealing to me. I don't think it makes a good campaign, um, which is part of the problem. It's okay for fiasco. It's okay for three yeah, hours of yeah. just fucking around. Um, but no, I, w- I would be interested to know what my process is if I had to make one of those. Okay. Cool. So do you have specific inspirations? Uh, yeah, I think so. So my, my first uh, uh, campaign that I did, some of my friends asked me to DM which was weird because I had never DM before. They just thought I would be good at it. Maybe I am. I don't know. I've been doing it for a while. None of them wanted to do it. That's <laughs> None, usually yeah. how you end up being a DM. Yeah. So I, I at the time I was reading uh, the Heir to the Empire series by Timothy Zahn. It's Star Wars. It takes place after Episode Six. It's no longer canon because thanks Disney, but um, thanks a lot. Still very good. Um, and I ended up basing the story on that. I adapted kind of the Heir of the Empire to uh, a fantasy realm. And uh, we didn't get that far in that campaign. I think we went one to level five, but I had a whole thing set up that was going to bring in beats from those books, but adapted (laughs) for a a high fantasy setting. Um, And uh, that was more the setting. The individual, more localized stories were more unique and ended up just being more emergent based on what my players did um and that's been the case for this campaign too the the idea for this campaign the overarching idea i wanted it to be based and this won't spoil anything if any of my players are are listening (laughs) to this uh the overarching idea was originally intended to be based on warcraft 3 um so like the the human campaign of, of warcraft 3 where there's a plague and necromancers and stuff like that um but uh, based on what my players have done and, and what they've interacted with and, and shown interest in, that's evolved and no longer looks anything like Warcraft 3 um, here 60 sessions later. <laughs> yeah. So it, I mean, it's, it's important it's... to keep an open mind and not have a, a set story, I think, and be able to evolve that based on what's happening with your with your other players. Yeah, I, as long as yeah, as long as it doesn't devolve too rapidly, the, yeah. you do have to be careful about that. That's that's part of what inspired the epic level campaign that we did was yeah. that that we I, I basically wrote us into a corner by yes anding my way through a couple of decisions I shouldn't mm-hmm. have. Um, but you don't want to put your foot down, so that right. that ends up being a a skill that you have to cultivate. Which I was ten at the time, so it's not like I'm you know 
I'm not being too harsh on myself for doing a bad job of it. Yeah. But it's also for the purpose of inspiration, you know, as generic as Warcraft 3 can be, it's... It's, yeah, it's well it's also it's, it's just useful to remember that there aren't really any like you know it's, the, the stories are all recycled it's not like oh yeah yeah <laughs> like the, the most recent storyline that they did where they went into the mountains to fight this demon that had corrupted uh the orcish ancestors of one of my players that was ripped from warcraft 3 too so yeah <laughs> i all, all, a lot of my storylines are just taken from different media that i've consumed and a lot of it gets warped and twisted and adapted in, in ways that are probably unrecognizable except to me, but it's just... That's how stories work. That's how stories are, <laughs> like yeah. That's, that's I mean, what's what's the, the rules that there are seven types of stories and everything is some sort of adaptation of that? I don't know if Joseph Campbell's even still alive anymore. Uh, okay. I don't know if you <laughs> can comment on that. Yeah. Heroes with a Thousand Faces wasn't as old as I thought it was. I no. thought it was like an early 20th century yeah, it's like book. like the 50s but or 60s. Yeah. Right? yeah. So someone cracked the code not terribly long ago. And yeah. then they made Star Wars. And, that, and then they sold it to Disney. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but I, I take inspiration from, from a lot of things. I've consumed a lot of fantasy and, and not as much sci-fi, but try to pull little pieces from, from everything and put it together in a way that's still some, somewhat unique. <laughs> Try not to be rote and derivative to some extent. Where you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything else? I think that was it. It seems like a comprehensive cover of... I don't even remember what my ulterior motive for this conversation was anymore. Table tarp. The state of table tarp. Table tarp. <laughs> table tarp and table tarp RPGs <laughs> in 2022. But uh, they're, they're still kicking. You can still, still have kicking. one. They're more popular than ever, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, as long as you got the friends to support it, they'll, yep. they'll come over, they'll roll dice, yep. and talk shit, and away they go. I think this was partially just to inspire me to think about the FTL RPG again, since yeah. it is about to be summer, and it's going to be impossible for me to like do any of the things I want to do. Yeah, and if you want some help with that, I can come over and take a look and see what to, you've done yeah i have to figure i have to figure that stuff out um that's it's not i mean it it's it's the kind of thing that like it just have to actually work on it and i haven't had i haven't had a spare moment to do so as weird as that sounds over the last two the last two years have been very busy despite all of the the stuff that was allegedly going on that kept everybody from being busy a lot's happened in the midst of nothing happening. Yeah, there's there was a ventitude going on. But thankfully that's over and yeah. the world is right at itself. And now we don't have to worry about that. Don't have to worry about anything anymore. Correct. It's all good. It is all good. I don't read the news anymore. Yeah. I don't see any reason to do that. Uh, the only news I read is about uh, large countries in Eastern Asia. So whatever's happening in America... Gas prices? I don't know what's going on. I don't drive. What, is, what do I need gas for? Eastern Europe, not Eastern Asia. I was, was, I, I was going to let that slide. I figured yeah. it was like, oh, Mitchell's up on uh, the Sino-Japanese relations. Yeah. And I wasn't uh, wasn't sure where you were going with it's that. my expertise. Right? I stopped reading about Ukraine as well because I, <laughs> I felt bad for two days about Russia invading. And then read a little bit more and realized that um, Xi Jinping didn't think 
Russia was going to invade, and the Russians didn't think Russia was going to invade, and Zelensky didn't think. So I don't feel too bad. In fact, I'm not entirely confident the U.S. intelligence knew that either. I'm pretty sure they just said it. So I'm I'm actually back on my uh, dirtbag leftist bullshit, and I think <laughs> the U.S. government was still lying. They just didn't. They they just accidentally were uh, correct this one time. So, but we'll cut all this out because it's not relevant. To That's fair. RPG. Yeah. We won't. I don't cut anything out. Okay. So RPGs, they're they're a good time. They are a good time. Good way to to get your creative juices flowing and your your role playing and acting and your <laughs> your talking, your your accenture, your dice rolling, your embouchure. Yeah, that was the word I was looking for. You don't actually have a drawl, despite having lived here forever. Florida doesn't have no accent. Well, Florida's got a couple accents. Florida's just uh, just kind of mid American. Normal, normalcy. <laughs> Mid Atlantic. Mid Atlantic. Uh, Mid Atlantic. Yeah, Florida. Florida is just uh, normal American. There's a name for it. I don't remember what the the general American standard American standard accent. I think is what it's called. I I sat down in a cafe in Chicago, and the lady taking my order asked if I was from the South because she heard a drawl. What? And I don't, I've checked the tape, and unless I am very sleepy, I don't have a drawl. I don't know what she's talking about, but she sensed it, and then she called me a millennial, and I didn't tip her, and uh, that was <laughs> that was an interesting conversation. That is a That didn't time. happen. Well, I, but, now that I've, that, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very weird. It's like a fever dream. Well, now that I've been putting more videos up on YouTube of, uh, of board games and stuff, I, re I understand why you don't intend to edit this, because it's a lot of work. It's easier to just throw something up and, and hope it's good. I mean, I, I put in the work to review the stuff. I just generally don't find an excuse to take the words out, because it's, I was, there was a, um, I was actually at a panel of podcasters at the Furcon I was at last weekend. Which that would probably make a decent podcast topic, but I don't care enough to record it. Podcast about podcasts? No, just being at a convention again oh, after yeah. two and a half years of not doing that. But um, there was a long, wide-ranging conversation about editing podcasts and like removing breaths and that kind of stuff. I was like, I don't know if you guys listened. To, did you guys listen to podcasts? Because no one care. No one cares. They're listening for the words. Like most of them listen at one and a half speed. They like have like specific algorithms that cut like spaces out, and some of them more add like the fancier pot. Like no one, no one's listening that carefully, and they can skip. This is actually something I learned relatively recently: is that you really can just like skip forward thirty seconds in a conversation if That's it's true. boring, yeah. and you really don't like it's it's fine. Yeah. And I even annotate now that I'm doing these extremely long form pot, not this one, this one's reasonable in length, but like when we're doing the open mic night ones, I just annotate them. So like I just put whatever the topic is, whatever's going on in a particular thing and then timestamp that. And it's just like, if you don't care about what's being talked about, you just move to the next timestamp. Yeah, that's fair. Like, you're wasting your time anyway. You're listening to a podcast. You could be reading Moby Dick again. You could be doing anything of value. But instead, you're here just listening to us complain about podcasts. In which case, we should end this. All right. Because I have a lot of things to turn off here. You do. There's, yeah. there's a lot of mics. A 
all good. Well, I don't do intros or outros anymore because that's too much work. So you don't even have like a beep boop boop beep, beep. Oh no no no! There's there's music, but I don't ah. like introduce and I don't close out. I just like stop it and okay. start it because <laughs> I don't. I'm I'm trying to make the podcast. It's not even more anonymous. It's just more like pseudonymous. Right.